0: Welcome to the Advent Houston podcast. At Advent, our mission is to embrace, embody, and extend the grace of Jesus Christ to the Texas Medical Center, Rice University, and the surrounding neighborhood. We're glad that you're here with us today. Well, good afternoon, um, For those of y'all who I haven't met, I'm Taylor Leachman. I'm the pastor here at Advent, and uh, it's a joy to be uh, here together with you. Um, And uh, I'm I'm grateful, um, you know, for not having knocked over the communion table uh, earlier. Uh, So um, we're going through a series uh, as we launch Advent, um, a series on our vision and our values, Um, and so. Uh, we, we've, we've talked through kind of that, that, vision, that vision statement of embrace, embody, and extend the grace of Jesus Christ. What does that mean to embrace? What does it mean to embody? What does it mean uh, to extend? Um, and so this week we actually begin uh, the, the first of the five values that we have. Uh, if you're interested in reading more about them, they're on our website. Um, uh, but even this week when I kind of mentioned that we were going to be talking through uh, our values, I was we were at a, a parish group meeting, which is uh, a, a, a one of the, the types of small groups that we have here at Advent. And um, and one of the, the, the members of the parish group said, uh, oh, you mean the main value that you all have is liturgy, right? Um, and uh, I was oh, man, I love that you were that honest with me. Um, and, you know, yes, we, we utilize and do a lot of liturgical elements here at Advent, um, partly because I know at least in my own life I've struggled to find the right words to pray, to find the right... Uh, um, language uh, to capture what it is that is going on in my heart, um, to capture the right language of how to worship the Lord. And so uh, we don't want to utilize liturgy for the sake of, of ritual, um, but rather so that when we find ourselves in moments of crisis, when we don't know what to pray, when we find ourselves uh, in, in in moments of just sheer joy, we can look back on the hymns we sing or the music we, we sing, the prayers we have, we've, we've recited together and, and be reminded um, that there have been those who've come long before who've given us wonderful words uh, to pray uh, together. So I say all that to say that's not one of our actual core values, um, but rather the core value we're going to be talking about tonight is to embrace truth and mystery, That's one of the values that we want for Advent. We want to embrace truth and mystery. And at first, that sounds like a very strange combination. Um, But this is what we mean when we say it. When you look on the website and you click on the different values, you can see some of the bullet points underneath of what it is that we're trying to say with that value. And these are the four points that are listed. It says, By humbly recognizing the limits of our own knowledge of God's revelation... Secondly, by allowing the mystery of the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to lead us both to wonder and to worship. Third, by boldly and graciously preaching and teaching the truths of God's Word. And then fourth, by cultivating an environment that's open to questions. And so tonight, um, we're going to look at though, this particular value through the lens of Romans 11, uh, 33 to 36, 36. And like I said, this, this combination of truth and mystery together is a very strange uh, juxtaposition, partly because truth itself is sort of a funny thing right now. Um, we hear a lot of people saying, you know, That's my, this is my truth. Right um, Which is another say when somebody says that's my truth that I'm speaking," that's another way of just saying, "This is my opinion." But not only is it my opinion, it's my opinion that you can't really uh, undermine, that you can't contradict because you don't know my lived experience. And so it's, that's it's typically the language of, of a younger generation. Um, and so older generations look at that and, and think pretty, pretty negative of that very relativistic way of talking about truth. Um, because most folks in an older generation grew up in the Pre postmodern world, in the modern world, right, where there is absolute truth. But I say, even in the ways that we can approach absolute truth, we can be as equally arrogant um, and as equally uh, sinful. My point being this that even when we affirm absolute truth, we can decide that we are the ones who determine what that absolute truth is, right, through our own sense of deduction through our own reason or our own senses. When we make ourselves the arbiters of truth, we are falling into the trap of original sin, right? That we want to be like God. Genesis 3 captures uh, the the very beginning of of, of the fall. It it captures that original sin moment. And in that temptation, the devil, uh, Satan, says to Adam and Eve, he says, when you eat of this fruit that you're forbidden not to eat of, he says... Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And y'all, that is our temptation. That is what we want. We want to be the arbiters of truth. We want to know. And in fact, we want to become the judgers of ourselves and of others, right? Well, we try and create our own uh, moral system, we think maybe I might, I might always speed when I drive, but at least I use my blinker. Right? Or I might be addicted to retail therapy, but I never pay full price. Right? Or I might look at pornography from time to time, but at least I'm faithful to my spouse. Right? In all of these things, we become the arbiters of truth when we try and justify our own actions. We want to be like God, setting the parameters for right and wrong, good and evil, just and unjust. But... The Bible teaches us that we are the creatures and he is the creator. And there's a difference. We don't determine truth. God does. So with that in mind, I know that was a long intro. Um, We're going to read Romans 11, 33 to 36. It should be printed for you in your bulletin if you'll read along uh, with me. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. Would y'all pray with me? Our father, we thank you that you have created all things, that you do all things and that all things are ultimately for you. And so I pray, Lord, as we consider this word together this evening, that you would um, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in a few weeks, my cousins um, are about to go uh, on on an elk hunting trip, one that I usually go uh, with them up to Colorado almost every year. And it's a a family piece of property uh, that that has been in the Leachman family uh, since the 70s. And what I love so much about this place is that it's in the, the middle of nowhere. Um, In fact, if y'all have ever driven up to Colorado before, you drive up through Trinidad. If you go from Trinidad and you go on an entirely small road called the Highway of Legends, you keep going to a small town called Stonewall. And then from Stonewall, you take a 45-minute dirt road drive all the way down to the border. That's where this place is. And what's amazing is there's no electricity. There's no cell service. You are literally cut off from everything. Everything. And you can see the stars like you've never seen them before. When the clouds are gone, you can actually see the Milky Way. Right? That's not just sort of a picture that we've seen in our textbooks, but you can actually see the Milky Way, something that you absolutely cannot see here in Houston. Have you all ever seen the stars like that? Right, have you ever been out in the country and away from the light pollution and the air pollution enough to see the thousand twinkling lights in the sky and to remember the grandiosity of God? Right, when we encounter such amazing things like that, we're reminded of our actual place in the world. Right? That there is someone or something far bigger than we are and that though we long to be like God, we are not. When we look at the stars or maybe when we climb a mountain and see how far the mountains extend beyond us, or maybe even when you go to the beach, if you're a beach person and you see out to the ocean where you cannot see anything but waves, you are reminded of just how amazing and how big God is. And I imagine it's a little bit of how Paul felt when he wrote, oh, the depths of the riches and of the knowledge and wisdom of God. We cannot fathom the power. We cannot fathom the beauty that it takes uh, to create a world like the one that we exist in. For many of you meeting with different uh, 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 folks here and knowing what you do for your, your living and your sense of call, you encounter the depths of the knowledge of God all the time. Right you see the biology or the physics of how the world holds together maybe the beauty of an eyeball or the details of the human body you see the wealth and the power of the written or the spoken word the beauty of numbers holding together in math or the excitement of a child learning to read or walk for the very first time right you see what justice means not in an abstract sense but in a very real and tangible meaningful way in people's lives or even in relationships, we see and encounter the depths of what it takes to actually know another human being and to relate to another human being. Right? In all of those ways, we encounter the depths of the knowledge and beauty of God. The book of Proverbs reminds us that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, it, it, the, thus, the beginning is not in our own recognition Um, uh, 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 of our our own thoughts and our own uh, way of doing life but it is in the recognition that there is a creator and that we are the creature and that there is a difference that there is a God and he is the one who spoke all things into being and by his spirit he is the one that holds it all together but I'm not him you are not him all wisdom actually begins with that there is a God but it's not me and it may seem like this is overly simplistic, but formally or informally, we all struggle with this idea. You might formally believe that there is a God, but informally, um, we all act as if there is not one. We are uh, functional atheists, so to speak. Right? Where We make millions of decisions each and every day with no regard or no thought to a God that exists and who created this world in a particular way. Right? We do things according to what we want. Not what he has determined or want for us. But we are the creature. We are limited. We are made in the image of the infinite, eternal, and unchangeable God. And we are not infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. We're mere image bearers of God. right? We're a shadow or a reflection. And at the very best, maybe we're like a three-year-old's crayon drawing of, the God, of God. right? God is incomprehensible which is a fancy way of saying that we cannot fully understand him. We cannot exhaustively know him. As his creatures, as finite creatures, we cannot comprehend in totality the creator. We cannot comprehend the infinite. Yet oftentimes, even in the church, we treat God, his character, and his ways as if like we're a professor mastering a subject right? Um, especially in the Presbyterian church, this is true, where we can sometimes act like it's not that you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, but that you're saved by right doctrine alone. Um, and if you cross your, uh, your T's and you dot your I's, then, then you're good with the Lord. Or maybe at Advent, and I pray that this will never be the temptation that we believe, but you're saved by right liturgy alone, right? Um, we cannot wrap our minds around God as a subject. We cannot descend to the depths of his character and his being. We cannot uncover it all. And recognizing that is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of worship. Because when we do treat God as fully understandable, then we're falling into a sinful trap where we are creating a God in our own image. And we're back to, to pretending that we are like him to begin with. We're arrogantly assuming our place above this creator-creature distinction. and So it's important to recognize there is a creator and we are the creature. And though he is incomprehensible, that does not mean, and though he is, let me say it this way, he is knowable, though he is not, though he is incomprehensible, he is knowable. And that's our second point that God's truth is revealed to us. Though we believe God is incomprehensible, we believe he's knowable, right? Not because of our own abilities or strengths to deduce you know, the truth in the world, but rather because God desires to be made known, that he desires to be known. We cannot know him in our own But we do know him because he desires to reveal himself to us. He's relational. He's near. He reveals. Hebrews 1 says, Long ago, at many times and in many places, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And so though God is incomprehensible, he's loving, he's relational, he reveals, he desires for us to know him. He's done so throughout history. He's spoken to the fathers of the faith, Abraham, Moses, etc. He's spoken to us through the prophets. He's spoken to us by his word, and now he's spoken to us through Jesus Christ. He's revealed his truth about why his world was created, about who we are and what our purpose is, and about how he is redeeming and saving this world that is broken and sinful. In our passage, that we read uh, from Romans 11. Paul is finishing this larger section within the whole book to the letter, uh, letter of Romans. Um, the first few chapters describe the problem that we all have, the problem of sin. It describes uh, the, the fact that we, don't, um, that we aren't cool with being the creature, that we want to be like the Creator. We rebel against God, and we want to we be like Him. We want to do what we want. The next few chapters describe how God deals with the sinful problem. It it deals with the questions of salvation. Through Jesus Christ's work on our behalf, our sins are forgiven. And that we are ultimately made sons and daughters of God, like we sang. That in Jesus, we are restored. And then the next few chapters talk about how we can grow to become more like Jesus. What uh, uh, sort of a fancy a word for that is, is sanctification, that we become more and more like him. And then the, the few chapters that lead right before this, God is, is, uh, Paul is describing the sovereignty of the Lord, that he is over all things, that no matter what goes on in this world, he is the one who's in control and nothing is foiling his plans. So that all leads up to what Paul says here when he says, oh, who knows the depths of the knowledge and wisdom of the Lord, right? That God is is the one who's revealed all that he has done for us, that he has amazingly made all things right and good through Jesus Christ. That is his truth that he has revealed to us and does so in his scriptures. So we're not claiming when we say that we want to boldly proclaim the, truth of, uh, uh, the truths of Scriptures. We're not saying that we're the arbiters of what that truth is. We're saying that we want to boldly proclaim what the Lord has proclaimed in His Scriptures. We're going to boldly proclaim along with what everyone else in the Scriptures and throughout the centuries has proclaimed. And though we may struggle to hear it, um, We ultimately believe that it is right and it is good. It's revealed to us. It's for our benefit. It's for the sake of relationship with him. But as we proclaim the truth, we don't want to do so as a noisy gong um, or a clanging cymbal. We want to proclaim it as we read about in Ephesians chapter 4. We want to proclaim the truth in love, to speak the truth in love. Knowing that it is in this manner and grace of Christ that the church is actually built. Knowing that it is in the truth and love that benefits those whom God has placed in our midst. Um, when I was uh, a, a, um, a high school student, I, I decided that I was going to um, uh, that I knew exactly what the end the end date of the world was. Um, I, I was very into eschatology, which is uh, the, sort of the, the theology behind um, uh, the ends of the earth. And I knew the world was going to end around like 2040. I can't remember exactly what I said. Um, I, but, but back then, I didn't say around. Uh, I, I said an exact time. And I remember flying with a, with a friend uh, named Clifton. We were going to a lacrosse camp uh, for a week-long recruiting lacrosse camp together. And we got into an argument. Um, I think maybe because something, it was relatively close to 9 to, 11. Um, and so I was saying, all right, uh, th- he's like, the world's gonna get better. I'm like, no, it's not. The world's gonna get terrible. Um, and I know this, and the world's ending in 2040. And we made a bet. And I, it was an absurd amount of bet uh, of, of, uh, of money. And, um, and I'm ashamed to, to say all of that. Um, not only because I, I, I don't care that much about eschatology anymore, but because um, I was a loud and noisy gong and a clanging cymbal to a friend that needed to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. I wasn't talking to him in a loving manner. I was trying to win an argument, one that I actually can't win until like, you know, whatever, 20 years from now. Um, and I pray I don't win it. Um, because I I was an arrogant, young, and and foolish uh, 18-year-old or 17-year-old at the time. My point in saying all of that is we all know the ways in which we have proclaimed the truth in arrogance and when we've proclaimed the truth in love. May we be a people who proclaim the truth in love because when we do so, people's hearts are changed. That doesn't mean that when we proclaim the truth that we're saying that we know everything because we're actually claiming how unsearchable are his ways. There are these truths, but we don't fully understand all of it. We don't know the depths of God. So what do we do when we encounter his mystery? And that's our third point, that mystery leads to either sin or it leads to worship. One of my professors in seminary was, uh, was named Sinclair Ferguson, and he used to talk about the theology uh, um, uh, he used to talk about the theology of, of anything is basically a circle. Um, and, and theology is just the study of God, and we do theology all of the time, because if God created everything, then everything we talk about is theology. But he would say that all theology is like a circle, in that at the very center of that circle there is clarity. It's easy to see what the truth is. We may not like the truth, but the truth is pretty simple. It's pretty clear and easy to understand. But from the center, as we go out toward the circumference, that becomes a little bit fuzzier. As we ask new questions about it, it becomes a little bit fuzzier, hazier, what we would call mysterious. What do I mean? Let's take the Trinity, for example. Um, well, the scriptures are clear that there is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and at the same time, the scriptures are also clear that there is one God. All right, so, are there three gods or one? Well, there's one God in three persons. A relatively simple truth, pretty clear at the center of the circle. How can that be? All right, we, we came pretty fast with that one to the fuzzy circumference. I do not know, I do not understand my mind cannot wrap its head around it. What do we do when we get to the fuzziness, when we get to the mystery? We can respond in either sin or worship. When we sin, we can say more than God's scripture says, typically, or we say less than God's scripture says. We either say um, we are now the arbiters of truth and we now have clarity where there is mystery, or we say God is not knowable. Everything is mysterious. He doesn't reveal anything to begin with. Either of those extremes is sin. But we're advocating that there is a fuzzy circumference. And what do we do with that? I saw recently um, that a public theologian named Jamar Tisby referred to evangelicals as those people without any questions. I thought, man, that's actually that's maybe a little bit too broad of a paintbrush, but it kind of captures a lot of my own experience in the church growing up. Um, That we can often feel like we are the ones maybe who have doubt around a lot of other people that have no doubt, who have no questions. I know I certainly didn't have any questions when I was on that plane flight with with Clifton, right? Um, What do we do when we approach these mysteries? We should always... They should always cause us to lead to that place where Paul is in this passage. Oh, how deep. Oh, how amazing. Oh, how wonderful the Lord is. It should lead to a place of worship where we think, How great is our God? How awesome is He? How amazing are His deeds? Because I don't understand, and I don't think I'm ever going to be able to understand, but He is a God who loves me still. That's not to say that every question that we have about God is unknowable, but it is to say that, that we want to be quick, we want to be quick to, to listen, we want to be quick to worship. We don't want to be quick to answer. We want to, to pin, uh, we, we, we don't want for things, um, whenever things get fuzzy, for us to, to begin pinning our answers immediately. At then we want for people to ask questions, to share doubts and to share struggles, so, so actually, next week, um, after worship, we're going to have a, a time of what we're going to call question and discussion. Um, this is modeled a little bit after uh, a, a church that, that we, we love and it is a brother and sister church relationship in, in, uh, in New York called Redeemer Lincoln Square. Um, we want to have a format for people to submit questions um, and for us to discuss them together. We're purposely not calling it question and answer. Because we don't believe that we are the ones that have all of the answers, but rather that like you, we want to search the scriptures and to figure out where there's clarity and to figure out where there's haziness and mystery and allow for that to lead us to worship together. So that's one way in which we want to do this. Another way that I want for this uh, to be true of Advent is that I want for us to embrace this together. That in small group discussions, in one-on-one discussions with one another, with neighbors, whoever, that we would not claim the truths of Scripture more than, the, more than Scripture claims those very truths, right? We want to be humble. We want to model worship. We want to allow for where there is mystery um, to lead us to worship. And so we want to be a place where, where people can feel free to ask questions of us as well. Let me close with this. Um, I guess one of our sister denominations, uh, which is called the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, they, um, they, they desired when they, they started a little bit uh, after. Um, I can go into history, but I will do that another time. Um, they, they began a little bit after the Presbyterian Church in America, which is what our denomination is. Um, but they were trying to be as big tent as possible. To try and capture underneath uh, their umbrella churches that had varying degrees of, of disagreement, and their uh, their um, their unifying statement or their vision statement is this: they said, "In essentials, unity; and non-essentials, liberty; in all things, charity, truth, and love." I love that. In um, the essential truths that God has revealed to us in the scriptures. We're going to hold fast. We're going to remain united. We're going to boldly proclaim those very truths. And things that get fuzzier, that get more mysterious, out on the circumference, we're going to allow for disagreement, and we're going to allow for questions and discussion. But above all, we're going to remain charitable and in communication with one another in love. And as we think about living out this core value at Advent, I pray that this will be true of our interactions with one another that we would cultivate an environment of preaching, speaking, and counseling the truth and love, but that we would also allow for questions, for doubts, and for disagreements. But ultimately, we want for all of this to lead us to a place of worship and our relationship with God and to love and charity in our relationship with one another. As we take new members uh, for the very first time uh, today, may that characterize who we are as a church um, and may, may it be so by God's grace. Let me pray to that end. Our God and Father, we do thank you. Um, Lord, even a pastor like me who struggles and has doubts, um, I thank you, Father, that you show up. I thank you that you reveal yourself to us, that you desire to be known. Though you are so large and though we can't even comprehend it, you are doing amazing things in this world, and that you're telling us about it. You're revealing to us who you are and even who we are in light of that. I pray, Father, that we as a congregation would be a church that embodies this, that we would recognize that we're not you, and that we would put to death the desire to become like you, but rather we would be okay with the fact that we are creatures, that you are our God, you are our creator, but in that relationship, Lord, we know we know you because you have shown yourself to us, because you have loved us in Jesus Christ, and you have united to us. Even, even the gift of faith comes from you. We thank you, Father, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.